Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Hey friend, welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here, so glad that you are tuning in and just excited today because we're going to be looking at the first miracle of Jesus. Now, if you know your Bible, this takes place in John chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. This is the first miracle that Jesus performs in his ministry here on earth. And there's a lot of symbolism that goes on in this passage. And so I wish we can unpack it even more. So hopefully as we kind of go through a summary fashion of this uh, miracle of Jesus, that you it would just incite in you a desire to want to dig further. And that's, that's the hope. As I kind of go through a chronological teaching of the Gospels and just kind of highlight certain things, that it will inspire you, uh, my dear friend, to just explore God's Word in a deeper and fresher way. So hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. But also, uh, before I jump into John chapter 2, I always want to remind you that if you've missed any previous podcast to always check it out on standstrongministries.org. You can click on podcast and we have it there. You can go to soundcloud.com. You can also go to iTunes and search for Stand Strong in the Word with Jason Jimenez or type in my uh, first and last name and it will come up. So again, encourage you to check those things out if you've missed any previous podcasts and also would be so blessed uh, and humbled if you would take the time to let your friends know that, hey, check out this podcast, especially if you have a friend who is really seeking and wants to dive into scripture. Again, we provide the notes on standstrongministries.org so they can use those as outlines as they listen to the podcast and as they're studying scripture. So may those be a blessing to you. So if you have a Bible, let's jump to John chapter 2. But if you don't, and you're driving your car or running or working out or whatever you may be doing, let me read you this passage as we put into proper context. And then I have a few things that I just want to highlight before the end of the podcast. So in John chapter two, beginning in verse one, this is the wedding at Cana. It says in verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. It did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. So, some cool stuff that we see here in John chapter 2 in verses 1 through 11. So let me just kind of give you three main points throughout this portion of scripture 
and then we'll just talk a little bit about some things that are mentioned here by John. So the first thing, if you notice, when, when you, we see that Jesus is invited to this wedding, in verse 1, it says, on the third day. Now, this time frame, again, remember, we're, we're teaching through a chronological reading, so let's put this in perspective. This time frame could be after Jesus called Philip and Bartholomew, or perhaps the time it took for Jesus when he came out of the wilderness uh, to get to the wedding feast, okay? So we don't know exactly, but those are probably the two most, um, I think, common explanations in Scripture to kind of pinpoint when this took place. But I want to read to you in a commentary that I was reading from M.S. Mills on the life of Christ. This is a study guide to the gospel records. I highly recommend that commentary if you don't have it. Notice what they say. It says, quote, in verse 1 tells us that on the third day, there was a marriage. The third day from what? Well, it says in John 1, 43, it answers this. For I had taken Jesus and the five disciples three days to travel from John's baptizing spot in the Jordan near Jericho to Cana, a small village about 10 miles from Nazareth. Now, as Cana is 80 miles from Jericho, and as Jesus had just finished a 40-day fast, the Gospels give us a picture of a very robust man indeed. For he, Jesus with his companions, covered 80 miles in two and a half days. That's about an average of 30 to 35 miles per day. Furthermore, Cana's elevation is about 2,000 feet higher than Bethabara, and they are separated by rugged terrain. So this journey was arduous indeed. Considering all this makes us realize that Jesus was a vigorous, robust man, and his disciples likewise. We find six men enjoying each other's company, vigor, and strength, as they travel from the Jordan, leaving behind them the preliminary phase of the gospel, John's announcing work, and anticipating the messianic role which Jesus was to fill, end quote. So that comes from the Life of Christ commentary, and it kind of gives us insight, again, into the effort that Jesus took to get to this wedding. Could you imagine then 80 miles for him to get to this wedding with his disciples? And I, I just want to say when you kind of read through that and you kind of discover, because again, when you're reading through, it just says on the third day, okay, he goes to this wedding who's invited to. But again, in proper context, as you're going through a chronological reading of the gospel accounts, it, it, you, you, it puts things in perspective as to where was Jesus coming from? What, what did it take? For Jesus to get to this wedding. We just think it just showed up like, you know, our Western mind, get in a car, fly a plane. We know that those things didn't exist then. But to realize that Jesus traveled extensively and covered over 30 plus miles probably on average per day to get to the wedding, to go up uh, this rigorous terrain, up higher elevation, uh, is intense. And the other thing that I find pretty fascinating is just, you know, the insights into the humanity of Jesus that he was hanging out with his early disciples and the time that they got to spend with Jesus and then showing up to this wedding, you know, there's a lot of times where people, they don't make any effort and yet Jesus makes all the effort in the world. And in the Jewish culture, remember, especially weddings, I mean, when you're invited, it was a big deal and you don't not just, you know, decide, I'm oh, thanks for the offer. I'm really busy. That's, that's insulting beyond belief. It's like breaking a covenant to deny an invitation to a wedding because most, again, weddings were uh, with close relatives and friends. And that's kind of what I think we can pick up here in John chapter 2 is, again, it doesn't mention just as the mother of Jesus in verse 2 and just references the disciples of Jesus. And John doesn't give any other names about who was there 
uh, within the family. But I, I, I tend to think because of the culture and the customary practices of the Jewish people at wedding feasts, that more than likely this was probably some relatives of Jesus. We don't know that for sure. And the other thing, too, to make note of, by the way, is you know, you always wonder, well, why, if this was the first miracle of Jesus, why didn't the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record them? Well, like I mentioned earlier, this was an early account of Jesus' ministry. Not all the disciples were there yet, so some people would not, you know, recognize this as necessarily an official thing, you know, because all of his disciples were not with him as he was developing, you know, his disciples and starting his ministry. But John makes a point to put this in, in proper context, not just because it was his first miracle per se, but I think that it really symbolized him from the get-go that he is the bridegroom. He's the ultimate bridegroom. And we're going to see that in a minute. So if you jump to verses three through five, it says here, you know, that they ran out of wine. Now, what's the big deal about that? You know, we've been a part of, of, of festivities get-togethers, birthday parties, even at some weddings. There's been times, even when I've done the wedding as a pastor, that they ran out of cake and I didn't get any. Um, But why was it such a big deal in the Jewish culture? Well, the wedding feast went for seven days, not just a few hours that we're used to in America. After the bridegroom picked up his bride and returned her to his house or his father's house, um, they would have the celebration. Now, so to run out of wine so early was a, a big, huge mistake. Whoever was leading this, the master of the feast, the host himself, uh, failed big time. I don't know if they didn't have any any further, uh, former practice of, of running a feast, a wedding feast before, but this was a big no-no. Tinney remarks, quote, to fail in providing adequately for the, go- for the guests would involve social disgrace. In the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all of their lives. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, again, speculating that this is some uh, relatives of Jesus, I think enhances all the more reason why Mary went directly to Jesus when she heard and found out that they ran out of wine, and knowing that this was such a disgrace. And she goes to Jesus for him to solve this, which we know he does. Um, but it puts things in perspective here because oftentimes in verse 4, when we see this response now that Jesus gives by saying, woman, what does this have to do with me? And we're thinking, man, Jesus, what's up with you? This attitude that you have, you know, it's like some kind of teenager or whatever, like, hey, leave me alone, mom, you know, but he doesn't even reference her, reference to her as mother, but like woman, like she's a nobody. Well, we know this is Jesus. He's the son of God. He commits no sin. We, we know in Luke chapter two, verse 52, that he submitted to his parents. So there's got to be an explanation. And it's actually... A very simple one. First off, this term that he uses, woman, is a polite gesture. Okay? Simple as that. Number two, Jesus was not so much focused on the temporary wedding. Doesn't mean he didn't care. Hey, because remember, what 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 great lengths did he take to be there? A lot. Over 80 miles to be there in such a short period of time. So we know that Jesus embraced these people, loved these people, took great lengths to get there. So he did care. But the, the, the broader picture here, okay, is... Jesus looking at his, the messianic wedding feast. So, because here's the bottom line, no matter if this host or this uh, master of the feast uh, failed in providing wine for the public, which remember, if I invite you to a wedding and I provide this for you, you are then obligated to invite me to your kids' weddings and take care of me and be generous 
as I have been generous to you. So to not provide wine, and we know wine was such a big deal in Jewish culture, particularly at a wedding feast, was not just insulting, as we know, but very disgraceful. So here's another picture that we get from this uh, wedding at Cana. Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate bridegroom, though man fails and tries to put everything together and tries to entertain and provide everything for their guests, they will fail. They will run out of, of supplies. I will not run out of supplies for you. My love will endure forever. That's the key in all of this because Mary recognizes that Jesus will solve this. And notice what he does. And now in verses 6 through 11, the water he turns into wine. And before we jump into that, though, in verse 6, notice it says here that Jewish rites of purification. So we know that there's these jars, and they're huge, 20 to 30 gallons filled with water. They would put them there because, remember, the Jewish people observed cleansing rituals. And that all symbolized their holiness before God. Let me put in perspective uh, by reading a commentary that I found that kind of breaks this whole thing down that, that records us from the Mishnah. It says, quote, The Pharisees and their, and their rabbis had created an elaborate set of rules regarding what constituted ritual purity and ritual impurity, which is the most extensive division of the Mishnah, which is known as the Torah, which literally just means cleanliness. It pertains to this marriage feast or excuse me, it says, as pertains, as it pertains to this marriage feast, these ritual purification jars would be placed near the entrance to the room where the celebration was to be centered. As guests arrive, each would be richly purified before eating by having a prescribed amount of water taken from one of the jars and poured over the guest's hands. Now, end quote. That's, so that's the end of that commentary. I also want to add this. You got to remember the Jewish people, they constantly wash their hands from going to bed to rising to when they'd wipe sweat off their brows, to when they would use the restroom, to when they'd leave the cemetery, they're always cleansing themselves. So what Jesus does is he takes these cleansing jars. And remember, they ran out of good wine because they served the good wine first and then the watered down version at the end. He tells the servants to fill these jars, draw some of it out, and then take it to the master. Now, this required faith on the servant's part. They Remember, they because Mary says, listen to this man. I don't know what role, what relationship that Mary had. Um, there's some speculation, as I mentioned before, that she probably had some type of a role because these are family members, and they probably, to some degree, recognized Jesus. But nevertheless, it required faith for these servants to do what Jesus had asked them to do. Now, when they take the wine, it's the best, and they're blown away. And the master of the ceremony goes to uh, the bridegroom and says, you've saved the best for last. I mean, isn't that just a beautiful picture of what Jesus can do in this whole mishap, in this whole uh, disgraceful situation? I mean, this could have been a complete and total disaster. You go from celebration to complete embarrassment, to misery. And, the, and, and you can imagine the, the conversations and people possibly uh, leaving because of that. But Jesus comes and he saves the day, right? And he brings them the best wine. Jesus is not saying to them, hey, just drink wine and get drunk. That's not the point. Remember, a lot of times people put that out there and be like, you know, Jesus, okay, so he creates wine, so it's okay to drink. That Guys, that's not the purpose of this story whatsoever. Notice at the very end when it says that this was the first sign that Jesus did. And notice it said, and it manifested his glories and his disciples believed. 
John uses a key word, okay, this word signs. It points to a deeper meaning than just wonders. At this wedding, the miracle of turning water into wine pointed to Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, as the ultimate bridegroom. This was the first time that even his disciples, though they were few in number at the time, they saw his divine glory. So these laws of purification, when he took them, okay, so let's go back to that now. When Jesus told his servants to take these jars of purification, and he turned them into the best wine that they've ever tasted, what he's saying to them is, your laws of purification that these Pharisees and Sadducees have put forth that is written in the Mishnah is over. I am the true cleanser, Jesus is saying at this wedding feast. I am the ultimate bridegroom. Jesus is pointing to the fact that you can take these jars, all of you came in here and you purified, you cleansed, you washed your hands to partake of the food, to partake of the celebration. But what I've done is when you have taken, when you look at the jars that have run out of the wine and I've taken these jars of purification and I've made them into wine, the best wine you've ever tasted. What Jesus is saying is, I'm here to make all things new. That is the power and the beauty of Jesus. So remember that, my friend. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. Continue to explore his word and the truth of his word. Let it just soak in. Let it cleanse you. Let it wash you. And be a light. Be a witness to the people around you to show them the beauty of Jesus as well. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.